Our second reading this morning is from Romans chapter 1, verses 16 and 17. Hear the word of God. For I am not ashamed of the gospel. For the gospel is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith. As it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. This is the word of the Lord. Let us pray. Lord Jesus, you have the words of life. We have nowhere else to turn but to you. And so we ask that you would speak to us this morning. This we pray in your precious name. Amen. So today is Reformation Sunday, and it's called Reformation Sunday because this Sunday is closest to the anniversary of an event that happened on Halloween 1517, an event that led to a revolution in the church in Europe, a revolution that we now call the Protestant Reformation. On October 31st, 1517, Martin Luther, a 34-year-old Roman Catholic priest, a professor of theology at the University of Wittenberg in what is now Germany, nailed a piece of paper to the door of the Wittenberg Cathedral on which was written what is now come to be known as the 95 Theses. These 95 theses were statements or propositions or sentences that Luther wanted to be discussed and debated by his students. This was a normal way of doing things in those days. It was as if your professor would make a blog posting on the internet and then send you an email saying, be ready to discuss this in class on Monday. All 95 theses were about the Roman Catholic Church's practice of selling indulgences. Now raise your hand if you know what an indulgence is. Okay, so some of us do. Okay, we're going to talk about it a little bit more later. The unintended and the unforeseen consequence of these 95 theses was the Protestant Reformation, a decade-long revolution that turned Europe upside down. The Reformation was the single most important event in European history since the fall of the Roman Empire. It changed everything. It created what we call the modern world with things like universal literacy, democratic governments, and the separation of church and state. But it wasn't that the sale of indulgences was such an earth-shattering thing. The Roman Catholic Church would later give up that practice, and it was no big deal. But the sale of indulgences was the tip of an iceberg. 
And the iceberg was the church's doctrine of justification. And that was a big deal. What happens in the Protestant Reformation is that Christians in Europe recover or reclaim the doctrine of justification as it was presented in the New Testament and as it was taught in the church up through the time, roughly speaking, of St. Augustine in the 4th century. By reclaiming this earlier doctrine of justification, the church also then rejected the theory of justification that the Roman church had been teaching since around the time of the scholastics of Thomas Aquinas in the 13th century. It's important to understand that the Protestant Reformation does not reject all Catholic teaching, but instead goes back to an earlier layer of that teaching. And when it did that, everything changed. Now, I've been agonizing all week about this sermon, about how best to explain the difference between Roman Catholic and Protestant understandings of the doctrine of justification. And this morning at 5 o'clock I woke up and I realized that what I had written wasn't going to work and so I had to throw it all out and start all over. And I decided at 5 o'clock this morning that the difference can best be explained with two songs. The one song is 16 Tons. Does anybody know this song, 16 Tons? Okay. you got to teach it to your son. I was going to call him up here to sing it for us. Okay, it was written by Elvina Hall, uh, I'm not sorry, it was written by Merrill Travis in 1946, it's a country western song, and the other song is Jesus Paid It All, now raise your hand if you know that one, we all know that one, okay, all of you good Baptists out there, that was written in 1865, okay, we're going to come back to those songs a little bit later, but I first want to talk about Martin Luther's relationship with God at the time that he nailed up those 95 theses, on the door of the Wittenberg Cathedral. Luther nailed the 95 Theses on the door in 1517, but later in life, as he was surveying his life, Luther would date his own conversion, the moment when his eyes opened to the truth of the gospel and was born again. Luther would date his own conversion to the following year. 1518. In other words, Luther wasn't even yet a Christian when he precipitated the Protestant Reformation. You've got to keep that in mind. That's the back part of the story. About himself at this time, 1517 time, Luther writes, he's writing later in life, he's looking back on himself as a younger man, and he writes, quote, my situation was that although I was an impeccable monk, I stood before God as a sinner, troubled in conscience, and I had no confidence that my merit would satisfy God. Therefore, I did not love a righteous and angry God, but rather hated Him and murmured against Him. Martin Luther had been born into a Roman Catholic family in Saxony, which is now part of Germany. His father was a businessman. He became a town counselor. Luther went to the University of Erfurt, where he earned both his, master, his bachelor's and his master's degrees. And then he went on to study law at the same university. But just six weeks 
after entering law school, Luther abruptly enters a monastery run by the order of the hermits of St. Augustine in, Saint, in Erfurt. That year was 1505. Two years after entering the monastery, he was ordained as a Roman Catholic priest. In 1508, Luther then moved to another Augustinian monastery in Wittenberg so that he could continue his studies at the university there. And four years later, he completed his doctorate degree and becomes a professor of theology. Luther was 34 years old and had been a theology professor for five years when he nails up the 95 Theses. But he wasn't yet a born-again Christian. His theses were about the practice of the sale of indulgences, but his real problem, even though he didn't know it at the time, was about what the church was teaching regarding justification. So I want to talk about this theological doctrine for a minute. According to the Oxford Dictionary of the Christian Church, justification is, quote, the event or the process by which sinners are made or are declared to be righteous in the sight of God. The church's doctrine of justification answers the question, how do I get right with God? And that's a really important question. I know that I am a sinner. I know that I have done things that God does not approve of. And I know that on the day of judgment, God is going to dispense rewards and punishments. Rewards for righteousness, punishments for unrighteousness. In Matthew chapter 25, Jesus describes Judgment Day as a separating of sheep from the goats. To the sheep, King Jesus says, Come, you who are blessed by my Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. And then to the goats, King Jesus says, Depart from me, you cursed ones, into the eternal fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. Jesus is talking about how in the future he will send some people to heaven and he will send other people to hell. So if you're like me, if you are someone who has sinned, you naturally want to know what do I need to do to get right with God? What needs to happen so that when it comes my turn to go to Judgment Day, Jesus will look at me and say to me, Come, inherit the kingdom that God prepared for you. That's the big question that the doctrine of justification answers. Now, roughly speaking, the Roman Catholic answer to this question, at the time that Martin Luther nailed up his... 95 Theses, the Roman Catholic answer can be summed up in the Psalm 16 tons. And the Protestant answer to this question, an answer that Martin Luther would come to later through his study of the Book of Romans, was Jesus paid it all. So I want to look at these two songs in turn. 
Merrill Travis wrote the song 16 Tons in 1946, and then Tennessee Ernie Ford, he's the one that I know singing, Tennessee Ernie Ford had a hit with it in 1955. And the chorus of the song goes this way. You load 16 tons, what do you get? Another day older and deeper in debt. St. Peter, don't you call me because I can't go. I owe my soul to the company store. It's a song about a coal miner who no matter how hard he works, still owes more money to the company that he's working for. It's a song about an economic system that was known as debt bondage. It was only a little better than old-fashioned slavery. You would work for a company down in the coal mine, and your family would live in a house that the company would rent to you, and your wife would buy groceries and clothing on credit at the store that the company ran, and come the end of the week, the paymaster would tally up what you had earned based upon the number of tons of coal you had dug out of the ground, and he would subtract from that what you owed in rent and in groceries that you bought at the company store, and people would work their whole lives and still be in debt. So what does this have to do with getting to heaven? According to the Roman Catholic doctrine of justification, you get to heaven if at the end of your life your account balance at the company store is positive and not negative. God keeps a ledger sheet on every person and on the positive side he writes down the credits for all the good things that you do. And on the negative side he writes down a debit for all of the sins that you commit. Your good works earn you your wages. They put you into positive territory. But your sins or debt, they put you into the negative territory. And the goal is to make sure that your wages outweigh your debts. The goal is, is that your good deeds are worth more than your sins so that when you die, you are in the black and not in the red. Now there are two twists to this theory. The first twist is that the Roman Catholic Church teaches that on our own there is no way we could possibly end up in the black at the end of our lives. Because of original sin, because of our fallen human nature, no person on their own would ever be able to merit or to have enough credit to enter into heaven. And so God helps us. By faith in Jesus Christ and by obedience to the discipline of the church, we receive graces that help us live better than we would if we didn't have faith. We earn wages by loading coal in the mine. By our strength, we are never able to load enough coal to pay off what we owe at the company store. So, by faith in Jesus Christ, we receive special graces that make us stronger and enable us to work harder to load more coal. On our ledger at the company store, there are credits for all of the tons of coal that we have mined, and there are debits for the sins that we've incurred, and our goal is to end our lives in the positive territory, to not owe anything to the company store, 
And so, according to the Catholic doctrine, God gives supernatural ability through faith to work harder. That's the Catholic view. Okay, that's twist number one. Let me give you twist number two. This is where we're going to get to the indulgences. Twist number two is something called the treasury of merits. Everyone who wants to get to heaven has to work hard enough to have a balance sheet in the positive territory. Now, most of us, on the Catholic view, are going to get into heaven by the skin of our teeth. Okay? You don't have to be really far into the positive territory. You've got one, you got a one penny balance. You're good. Okay, you don't owe anything, okay, when you die. That's enough. But there are some people, like the Virgin Mary, or some of the really super saints, who sinned so little in this life and worked so hard in this life that they get to their ends of their life and they have way more merit than they need to get into heaven. These are people who mine way more coal than they would need to pay their bill at the company store. So when they died, they had a very large positive balance on their account and the surplus from those saints goes into something called the treasury of merits, which is a kind of slush fund of good deeds, and the church controls that. The church can transfer some of the credits from the treasury of merits to someone who needs a little bit of help. Let's say that you've been sinning a lot lately. None of us here. You've been sinning a lot and you've been accumulating a lot of negative entries on your balance sheet. And you've not been working very hard. You've not done very many good deeds. And so your account shows that you're away in the red and you're in danger of hellfire should you die. Well, the church can take some of the credits from its treasury of merits and pay off some of your debts and move you back toward the black. When the church does that, it's called an indulgence. Okay, that's what an indulgence is. And during the time of Luther, the church would sell you an indulgence for gold. Okay? At the time of Luther, the Pope was trying to build the Basilica of St. Peter, the big church there in the Vatican. And they needed a lot of money. So he had agents who would travel around in Europe to raise money by selling indulgences. And one of the best traveling salesmen was a Dominican friar by the name of Johann Tetzel. He would come to town and he would preach three sermons. It was kind of like a revival meeting. The first sermon was on how every single person, even a child who died in infancy, that they're all soaked with sin and depraved. The second sermon was about the torments of purgatory. And the third sermon was about the pleasures of heaven. And then after having preached these three sermons, he would offer his indulgences for sale. Buy this piece of paper for a loved one, and you will spring them out of the torments of purgatory and send them immediately to heaven. What grieving parent who had lost a child, or what grieving husband who had lost a wife could resist this kind of sales pitch? 
Thesis number 27 from the 95 Thesis reads this way, quote, They preach only human doctrines who say that as soon as the money clinks into the money chest, the soul flies out of purgatory, end quote. By the way, if we preach this, we could solve our budget deficit here real quick, okay? I, I wish we I wish we believed it because it, it it would be really good. Like we we would pay our bills off in in one. Because I know you would you would want to spring your relatives out of this torments of hell. Something in the sale of indulgences smelled fishy to Luther. But the problem actually was much deeper. The problem was in the church's doctrine of justification. And Luther wouldn't understand that problem for another full year. And the breakthrough that would finally come would be as a result of having to teach a class at the university on the book of Romans and having to understand what Paul had written about how it is that we are saved. All right, so our second reading this morning was from Romans chapter 1. And in that passage, Paul said, quote, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. It is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and to the Greek also. For in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith. As it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. Now the word righteousness and the word justice are the same in the Bible. They're also the same in the German language that Luther would have spoken. Righteousness is doing the right thing. It is the opposite of sinning. And when Luther read the phrase, the righteousness of God, that meant for him the judgment that King Jesus would bring on Judgment Day. On Judgment Day, Jesus would be sitting in his throne and he would open the account books and he would review Luther's life. He would examine all of the good deeds and all of the bad deeds in Luther's life and he would add them all up. And King Jesus, who was perfectly righteous, would not fudge on the math and this struck terror in Luther's heart because Luther knew that he would end up in negative territory. He knew that at the end of his life, even though he was a monk and a priest, he knew that at the end of his life, he would have more debts than he would have merits. He said, although I was an impeccable monk, I stood before God as a sinner, troubled in conscience, and I had no confidence that my merit would satisfy God. That's what Luther wrote about his state of mind at that time. And then he goes on to say, therefore I did not love a righteous and angry God, but rather hated him and murmured against him. Well, of course. Of course he hated God. Because God was just a terrifying judge who would examine his life and say, Sorry, pal, you didn't measure up. 
It was through his study of the book of Romans that Luther came to realize that he had read this wrongly. And he came to realize that the, what the Catholic Church had been teaching was also off the mark. Now, by the way, for the next four weeks, the four, I guess it's four weeks in November, right? Four weeks? The four weeks in November, we're going to be preaching on the doctrine of justification because... I don't know. I've come, to, I, I've come to the awareness that some of us in this room are a little fuzzy on this really fundamental doctrine. I think we need to go back and remind ourselves of some of the basics of our faith. So we're going to spend four weeks talking about this. Uh, and then we'll turn into Advent. We're going to look at what the Bible teaches about the righteousness of God and how we're saved. In a nutshell, Luther realized that the righteousness of God that is revealed in the gospel which Paul, by the way, calls the power of God for salvation to anyone who believes. The righteousness of God that's revealed in the gospel is not the righteousness of Jesus, the judge, who scrupulously goes over our account books and tallies up our pluses and our minuses, but rather it is the righteousness of God um, in the perfect account book of Jesus himself. Of course, Jesus' account book is nothing but pluses without any minuses, that we receive, that is given to us when we have faith in Jesus Christ. By faith in Jesus Christ, we do not acquire the ability to satisfy God through good works. This is where Protestants differ from Catholics. According to Catholics, by faith in Jesus Christ, they acquire the ability to satisfy God with good works. According to Protestants, we actually don't. We do not acquire the ability to work harder so that we can load more coal and pay off our bill at the company store. All of that's a Catholic idea. Rather, by faith in Jesus Christ, we believe that we acquire the account book of Jesus himself. Our sins go to Jesus, and those debts are paid on the cross. And Jesus' perfect life becomes our record because we are united to Christ through faith. Faith in Christ doesn't give me the ability to be good enough to earn my way into heaven. Faith in Christ doesn't give me the ability to pay my debts at the company store. Faith in Christ instead lets Jesus pay my debts so that I don't owe anything at all. That's the message in the hymn, Jesus paid it all. Listen to the words, you know them. I hear the Savior say, thy strength indeed is small. Child of weakness, watch and pray. Find in me, Jesus, thine all in all. If we're struggling to pay off our debts at the company store, we will find that we don't have the strength to do it. We can't do it. We can't be good enough to balance the account. And so we have to look to Jesus and find in him our sufficiency, our all in all. Verse 2, Lord, now indeed I find thy power and thine alone can change the leper's spots and melt the heart of stone. Sin is like leprosy, and we cannot cure ourselves. 
Our hearts, when they are captive to sin, are like hearts of stone. They're unwilling and they're unable to hear and to respond to the gospel. If we're going to be saved, it will not be our power that saves us. It will be the power of Christ alone. We need to stop trying to save ourselves. We need to let the power of Christ do what we cannot do. Verse 3. For nothing good have I, whereby thy grace to claim I'll wash my garments white in the blood of Calvary's Lamb. The temptation is to think that we can do good things and lay claim to God's grace, to God's good favor, to God's good opinion of us. Oh God, you owe me one. Did you, did you see all of those good things that I did? You see how good I've been, God? Okay, now give me what I deserve. Well, that's foolishness. Because the Bible says that even our good deeds are as filthy rags. The term in scripture is actually menstrual rags. People who think that God owes them something because of how righteous they've been are presenting God with a basket full of nasty laundry. And saying, look how good I am. What are you going to pay me for this, God? And God can only laugh at that. Because our dirty laundry, which is the best that we have, I'm not saying that our righteous deeds are not something. It's the best that we have, and we offer the best that we have. But even our righteous deeds still need to be washed in the blood of the Lamb. Even our good stuff is filthy. Verse 4. And when before the throne, this is the judgment throne, I stand in Him complete. Jesus died my soul to save. My lips shall still repeat. When we stand before the throne of God on judgment day, if we are in Christ, we will be perfect. <laughs> we will be complete. There will be nothing left to add to what Christ has already done. And all of it will have been the work of Christ and not my work. Jesus died my soul to save. I did not save myself. And I do not add to what Jesus accomplished on the cross. You know the refrain, of course. Jesus paid it all. All to him I owe. Sin had left a crimson stain. He washed it white as snow. This is the biblical doctrine of justification. If you and I are going to see heaven, it's not going to be because of anything that we did. It will be because Jesus paid off all of our debts for us. When Luther finally understood this truth, it totally flipped him around. He writes, 
When I grasped that the righteousness of God is that righteousness by which through faith and sheer mercy God justifies us by faith, I felt myself to have been born again and have gone through the open doors into paradise. That would happen in 1518. And that would cause a personal reformation in the heart of Martin Luther, which would then work itself out in the larger reformation that was going on in the church as the church began to recover this essential biblical doctrine of justification by faith alone, not by works. Anyone who is hoping to satisfy God by doing enough good works to outweigh their sins, anyone who is hoping to be justified before God by their own performance, has no option but to hate God. Because they have no hope. Because that kind of God is like a parent who can never be pleased. God loves us and he embraces us in spite of our sin and in spite of our shortcomings. And he loves us so much that he dies the death that our sins deserve and he lived a perfect life that he then credits to our account. And when we know that, our love for God will be kindled with all of our hearts. We will love God. Out of the depth of our gratitude, good works will then follow. We are saved to do good works, but we're not saved by good works. Let's pray. Father God, we um, we thank you for the saints who have gone before us. We thank you for St. Paul. For so long in his life, he tried to be right with you. He tried to be in your good graces by doing everything right. And at some point, he met Jesus and he realized that that was just stupid. And he gave it up. And he turned it all over to Christ. We thank you for his testimony in the book of Romans. We thank you for Martin Luther. Lord, we thank you that you kept after him and that you wrestled with him until he saw the truth of your gospel. We thank you that you turned his heart toward you and that he stopped hating you and that he started loving you. Lord, teach us to stop relying upon ourselves. And teach us, give us the faith that we need to rely upon the finished work of Christ on the cross. Lord Jesus, you are our salvation. Outside of you, we have no hope. We cling to you this day. 